many have the perception people dressed in cultural clothes um, not able to speak english not living in concrete houses able to drive a vehicle and that's not what indigenous groups are welcome to the under the sycamore tree podcast as you can hear i am not carlo we're not carlo for these final two episodes we'll be your guides i'm dave ann moses founder of curly stated which is co-producing this podcast and i'm jackie brown writer and researcher for the podcast we day up on the veranda you day up on the veranda what me a hunt i am man cock up your foot I'm a crowd about good time. We'll be discussing topics that some listeners may find triggering, including child abuse, child marriage, child pregnancy, intimate partner violence, and working with the police. We understand that these topics can be difficult to hear about, and we want to remind our listeners that it's okay to take a break if you need to. So y'all, Carla is incomparable as a host, of course, but I really wanted y'all to hear the voices from at least some of the team that put this together alongside Carla before we sign. Also, we really struggled with these last two episodes. This one in particular, we really felt under-equipped to do. So we decided to come to you a little more informally as we work out this topic, contemplating a Caribbean rematriation. We are delighted to invite you to our yard to hold space under the sycamore tree with one another for this episode, Contemplating a Caribbean Rematriation, Indigenous Women's Organizing. In this episode, we'll bring you three interviews we held with Indigenous feminist organizers working across our region. So first is Amira Teo, then Program Coordinator for Toledo Maya Women's Council from Belize. The Toledo Mayo Women's Council, or TMWC, is one of the first organizations established in Belize to create a safe space for indigenous women and girls and enable their participation, representation, and leadership in public policy and decision-making spaces, mostly at the community level. Founded in 1998, the organization's mission is to break harmful norms, advocate and educate on rights while respecting the identity of women and girls, and giving them a voice and providing them with networks through community outreach. Next, we spoke to Paulette Jacobs-Alicock and Gloria Duarte of Makushi Research Unit in Guyana. The Makushi Research Unit, MRU, is an independent collective founded in 1995 that is self-led by indigenous women and which conducts social, economic, and ecological research from within North Rupununi, Kayano. The organization is part of the North Rupununi District Development Board, which is a representative umbrella organization of 20 indigenous villages and communities in North Rupununi. MRU plays an important role in understanding and promoting local knowledge systems and cultural affirmation and indigenous leadership. Last, but certainly not least, we spoke with Immaculata Casimiro of Wapachan Women's Movement out of Guyana. Wapachan Women's Movement, or WWC, 
is the women's arm of the South Rukununi District Council, a representative indigenous organization in South Rukununi, Guyana. WWC was founded in 2017 and is led by a working group consisting of 10 Wapachan and Makushi women of various ages and experiences from across the Wapachan Witnessy community who have been involved in community organizing, capacity building, and livelihoods projects. WWC represents the interests of women and its mandate to bolster the role that Indigenous women play in protecting the land and natural resources, retaining cultural identity, and addressing the social issues affecting Indigenous women's rights. So, how were we to approach telling the stories of our Indigenous organizers? At least without imposing our perspective, one that still begins with colonization. How do we meet indigeneity on its own terms? So we decided to do this in a few ways. We'll account for where we felt least equipped and how Amira, Paulette, Gloria, and Immaculata responded. We'll continue to prioritize contextualization and framing. We want you to know what our groups prioritize when telling us about their worlds and their work. This means you'll be hearing a lot more from our participants and how they engage with us as they got the context for this episode just right. Now, let's settle back into the map of our podcast from episode zero. Because the work of these organizations is place-based. Take a deep breath. Push it down to your gut. And let it float down to your feet as you begin to ascend. We'll climb slowly together, recalling Kai's instructions. If we look clearly, and in just the right light, we can make the boundaries of our region. Let's revisit our episode zero to reacquaint ourselves with the map of this podcast. Belize, our northernmost country, is planted on the Yucatan Peninsula's eastern end like the full side of a brick wall at midday. Toledo Maya Women's Council and Amira work in Toledo District, the southernmost district of Belize. Amira will tell us more about Toledo, its political landscape, institutions, and leadership structures. Amira will also explain to us how Toledo's indigenous groups are fighting for autonomy from the Belizean government and what this means for TMWC, whose priority is empowering women and girls, with a little less emphasis on rights, on land rights, and ownership. Now, we'll glide due east from Belize and cruise over the Cayman Islands, Jamaica, Quisqueya, also known as Haiti and the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, all the Virgin Islands, St. Kitts and Nevis, Antigua and Barbuda, St. Lucia, Grenada, and Trinidad and Tobago to the center of South America's northernmost. Y'all, Haitians and Dominicans listening to this podcast, Please don't come for me on my pronunciation. Uh, I'm working hard. I'm trying. Um, please, I will accept any gentle correction kindly um, that you would like to send to our DM. 
We will flow against the tide from the Atlantic, following one of its tributaries, the Esquibo River, and we'll keep flying southwest until we reach a tributary of this week, the Rupununi River, whose source originates in the Kanuku Mountains. We'll visit North Rupununi District, where Makushi Research Unit empowers women through cultural research and organizing work, as well as South Rupununi, where Wapichang Women's Movement is building out their women's organizing infrastructure. Place also informs our indigenous organizers' work in another way, remoteness. All of our organizers discuss how their home areas are positioned in places remote from government infrastructure. It's not so much that the land itself is remote, but that indigenous folks have been purposely pushed to the periphery, conceptually, metaphorically, and geographically. So the first question we had for our organizers was, what does indigeneity mean today? How do you as indigenous peoples conceive of your lives and communities? Super basic. Amira was like, not, not much different than you do. She also pointed out something obvious, which we'd overlooked. What do you mean when we say indigenous? Which peoples are we even speaking of exactly? Well, uh, I think m many have the perception of um, indigenous to be um, people dressed in cultural clothes, mm. headdress, um, not able to speak English, not um, not not living in concrete houses, able to drive a vehicle, um, no, no, whole, whole no degree. I have, um, I have, I am of many ethnicities. Okay. If I can say that, um, my, my dad is, he consider himself sketchy Maya. Got it. His dad was Mopan. And then his mom came from Guatemala. So she was, her, my grandmother's mom was itchy, but she was raped by Spaniards. So she was no longer a full itchy girl. So she, been, she, she took on the, the, the itchy identity. So, um, that's my dad's side. For my mom, um, her dad came from Honduras, but with origins from Mexico. Okay. Her mom was Belizean and she was Mestizo. Okay. So, I have Mestizo, I have she, I have more fun, and then I have a bit of the Creole blend. So when I am asked um, about my ethnicity, mm -hmm. I would usually say mestizo, 
because it kind of explain the mix you're a mix of mm-hmm. uh, Maya with, with with Spanish with Spanish lineage so I would say Mestizo in our home we practice both the Mestizo and Keche um, traditions mm-hmm. so I am Catholic by faith but I have a deep appreciation for both Mestizo and Quechua cultures. Like, I'm a Quechua girl in terms of tradition. I, I know how to prepare the meals. I understand the language. I'm not fluent in speaking it, but I understand the language perfectly. I'm fluent in Spanish. I am I'm a proud Mestizo. I, I wear both... Um, both cultural wares and it's kind of hard to track where I came from mm-hmm. but when um well in school we were taught about the Maya civilization and equal laptop the the Mayas and, and things like that I it's a bit different from the from your story Mm-hmm. Because we were taught that when we were here, we were in Belize. Others came to Belize. So I grew up believing that. Mm-hmm. And um, while there is not much history to support that, you, you, you know that is, that is my belief. Like others need to appreciate indigenous groups for contributions they make and not from our ancestors history because mm-hmm. if we focus mm-hmm. on, on the history then how are we going to mm-hmm. to move from where we are how are we going to address issues that affect our population if we mm-hmm. believe that we are not um, valued enough because mm-hmm. of our history another thing that was top of our mind what is it like to know that those who stole your land are currently destroying the planet? Amira's response, again, helped us understand that this question was also based on assumption. Does continuous habitation of land privilege a people to it? Particularly when, meanwhile, on this land, patriarchy corrodes opportunity and basic being for girls and women. Basic things like education, agency and marriage, sex and reproductive health, and sustainable and independent income streams for women. I'm not certain where I came from. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the, the, the history, and I don't take the history to be some sort of entitlement for me to have, for example, hundreds of acres of land because that is how my ancestors used them. Mm-hmm. Land is an issue and should be accessible to everyone, and if mm-hmm. it means that for everyone to be able to have um, a, a homeland means giving up communal land, then I I support that because okay. my ancestral history should not serve as an entitlement over a um, 
over others. So Toledo Maya Women's Council, remember that's Amira's organization, is working to ensure that we not only see Caribbean Mayan groups, but we see them in depth and we see them straight. In fact, TMWC is one of at least three of our participating organizers whose groups are surveying and or benchmarking their communities. We broached this issue of benchmarking and seeing one another straight in, ep in episode five, Stats and Storytelling, Shitty Dolly Dem. This is another through line in the work of our movement, from our circle, we change and intersect, to Pedal and Toledo Maya Women's Council, our movement is foregrounding how we collect and archive our worlds. All right, so we're going to take our first somatic break. Take a deep breath right now. In through the nose and out through the mouth. What happens in your brain when you think of Indigenous Caribbean people? Specifically Indigenous Caribbean women and girls. Do you know of any of their movements and the history of their movements? Do you work with them? Are you indigenous yourself? Do the queer justice and feminist movements in our region engage and honor indigenous organizers, indigenous inheritances? With this context in mind, we debated whether we should even dedicate an episode exclusively to our, our indigenous, whether this would be further pigeonholing them in a portal of indigeneity far away from us arrested in a past we mind when convenient. We also debated whether to highlight our indigenous groups in our episode dedicated to land and agricultural We didn't want to further bind them to saving our earth, but we recognize that ind indigenous groups not only hold primary knowledge of the land which we live on, but whether fair or not, indigenous folks across the world, across race, gender, sexuality, disability, you name it, do the essential physical, spiritual, and emotional work of nurturing, nourishing, and being with our land. So, as you've likely already noticed, we settled on dedicating an episode, this one explicitly to our indigenous organizers because of their shared focus on violence against women and girls, coerced marriages, limited education, income, and other opportunities for girls and women. If you listen from your center, you should hear the pride beating from their voices and refracted across our dodgy Wi-Fi connections in my really kind of sad Southern accent and through your speakers or headphones. All right, so let's get into the actual interviews. First, Let's listen to our initial conversation with Amira for this podcast. Here's an extended excerpt of Amira speaking to us about the world of Toledo Maya Women's Council's work, or TMWC, as she refers to it. My name is Amira Tawul, and I'm the program officer for Toledo Maya Women's Council. 
The Tadila My Women's Council is a women-led organization. We have nine women who serve as board directors. And these women come from different rural communities in the Toledo district. We also have a youth arm group, which consists of um, youth. And again, this is from a cross sector of communities in Toledo. TMWC's um, main focus is to educate create awareness by providing information and literacy sessions to, to women in these communities. And uh, when TMWC began, we were working mainly with women, you know, doing advocacy workshops and, and um, economic uh, economic and skills building sessions with them, you know, focusing on sewing and art and cooking, things that would assist them in creating an income to their household. But since 2015, we shifted our focus and we began to work with young girls, girls between the ages of 10 to, to 18. And um, we did this because as an organization, we saw that we were having a lot of young girls out of school. These girls weren't going to secondary school, which is high school. And many of them did not complete the primary level. We also saw that um, a lot of these girls were, you know, teen mothers. They were um, getting married very young. And as a result of that, most of them were in abusive relationships. So in partnership with Population Council uh, and the office in, in Guatemala, we were able to pilot a, a project to see, to, to actually find the status of these girls. Are they in school? Why are they not in school? And, um, you, you know, what was the reason behind it. So we created a, a survey instrument and we did a baseline in four communities. And that baseline showed that the primary reason for girls not being in school was because girl education is not supported by their fathers. Secondly, they saw girl education as a risk. You know, the girls go to school, some don't complete, they get pregnant, then they married off. It becomes a wasted investment, you know? So um, that was, the, those were the primary reasons. Secondly, uh, well, the third reason, um, they found that it was safer to invest in boys because the boys stay home. They, they finish school, um, they don't get pregnant, and when they married off, the bride comes to the home. The, the boy does not leave. So all his money, all his earnings remain in the household. 
And after the baseline review, we decided that we needed to do a pilot project. And the pilot project was to um, create girl clubs in four communities that would support girl education. And we did that in the most remote, the border communities. And one community was, you know, closer to the urban area. At first, it was a bit challenging to implement this project because, um, you know, there were questions like, are you going to provide scholarships? Are you going to to, to uh, cover all these expenses? What exactly is this project going to do? And um, you know, we had to we had to struggle to to explain that the this project is for us to see what is the root cause of girls not going to school. So in the towards the end of the project, we had um, garnered enough support to to implement in these four communities, and we were able to expand. So we did an additional six communities, and at the end, we did an online survey, and this was to see how effective this project was. You know, if indeed um, the reason for girls not going to school is because of the the machismo. Um, in the community, is it really because there's no financing, or is it simply because the girls are not interested? So the headline showed that um, once we had the girl clubs established, parents saw it matters specifically saw that yes, their girls need to to be educated. They need to be in school. Um, they also saw that once the girls were in school and had the support from home, you know, they would be less likely to become a teen mom, less likely to fall victim to domestic violence, and of course, they were not interested in marriage. And these marriages were arranged marriages. So the, the mentality of the girl changes. And... um we had the support of the fathers towards the end, you know, the, the village leaders and the village leaders are, are men in the community, um, the alcalde and chairman, you know, and they was like, we need to have our girls in school. And at the end, we were able to see that we had more girls in secondary school. After a period of two years, we had more girls in secondary school in one of the border communities, when we started, there was only one girl who had completed secondary education. And when we did the end line, we had more girls enrolled in secondary school. So we found that they, they, um, the girl club did change the mentality. It was a social program and it, it changed the way the men um thought about when it comes to health services again 
um, girls find it difficult and because the girls are of Mayan descent, it becomes complicated in Belize and in Toledo because they're indigenous and because part of their culture has been that of having arranged marriages, these girls could legally be married at the age of 16. Once the parent consent, they, they can marry. And while that is law, these girls still do not have the, the right to go into a health center and ask for contraceptives. They can't vote, they can't get driver's license, they can't apply for any document because they're not 18, but yet they're allowed to, to marry. So access to health services for these girls is also a challenge. And in the culture, many of, many of these mothers don't use contraceptives. That's uh, more of a taboo subject for them. That's not for them. You know, that, that's getting poison into your body. That's not how you take care of yourself. So talking about contraceptives, um, HIV, STDs, menstruation are some things you don't discuss. And, and it's because of their culture, yes, but also because the access to information is not there. So while it's the responsibility of these ministries, CMWC find that it's also part of our responsibility because we work with Mayan women and 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 it's not um, doing the ministry's job, but it's doing what's best for for these women for for women and girls who do not have the um, who do not have access to their basic rights. It, it, it's a challenge for for girls here um, and in, especially in Toledo. And I I want to say this with no without holding back anything and. Toledo is the, the most southern district of the country, you know, and that means we have limited resources. Um, when it comes to access to healthcare services, access to education, access to basic needs, it's always, always difficult to access those resources. In Toledo, we have a lot of indigenous people, if you may say. Um, uh, and that, for the past three years or so, has created a divide. You, you know, um, we have the indigenous groups, this particular group, um, there's that has been um, in a court battle with the government over land rights. And because of that, everything has been a bit more 
difficult to access. For example, um, when it comes to, to land, one cannot go ahead and claim ownership, one cannot pay land taxes because of the ongoing court battle. All right, hold on. So the case which Amira is referring to is Maya Leaders Alliance versus the Attorney General of Belize, an active case before the Caribbean Court of Justice. Revisit episode two, Setting Precedent, Positive Rights, for more context on the CCJ. The CCJ is now overseeing the Belizean government's implementation of the court's judgment in support of indigenous land autonomy in Toledo District. Amira uses this case as an example of how TMWC balances their role within larger indigenous land struggles with their focus on empowering women and girls and combating patriarchy. And what this present government is doing, they created a ministry for indigenous affairs. And while you will think, well, wow, we're talking about uh, a space for Mayan or Mayan, Garifuna, and um, Creole, because those are the three main indigenous groups. So this ministry has identified a commissioner for indigenous people. Now, the ministry is keen on what they call implementing um, the CCJ ruling. But they're basically reversing or undo everything that has already been um, processed and achieved by the previous government with EA. One of the first things is to remove the Toledo Alcalans Association as the group that took the lead charge in in the court hearings, and um, they are bringing back MLA, which is Maya Leaders Alliance. So this alliance was made up of seven organizations back in two thousand. Hmm. TMWC was a part of that alliance, but because of Landnet being a priority for TMWC, we did not move forward with or, or join the cause to go to court to fight for land rights. So while we support the Alcalis Association and the, the um, chairperson, uh, or the or, or chairman from each of these communities, we did not take a position to stand in solidarity with EEE at that time. Because while we are an NGO, we still work with government-based agencies. For example, the Women's Department and the Ministry of Education. So we did not take that stand. And that was in 2002. Fast forward to 2022, this government is bringing back this alliance. Out of the seven organizations that formed Emily, 
CMWC is the only organization that survived the test of time, if you call it like that. Mm-hmm. The other organizations became defunct, and now that um, this government is in power, those organizations automatically revive, and they're doing a power struggle to take the um, claim for indigenous um, indigenous land title. Most of our work in the communities have the support of the community leaders, both the alcalde and the chairman. So they do support our work and we always extend an invite for them to, to join our community sessions. And you know, if we're celebrating the an event, we have them participate in terms of advocating for our rights and needs. There is much more to to be done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right now, there I think there are only two women alcoholics. Okay. And well, chairpersons about two also. Okay. Because yeah. in the groups you had maybe one woman who sits on the team, mm-hmm. but it's not compri- um, comprised of um an equal number of men and women representatives and and that's the tricky part with elections and when you hear government say oh we're 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 focusing on creating this balance we have more women in leadership positions it's it's not so i'm also of the view an opinion that the girls i mentor i work with believe that more should and more needs to be done for girl and woman and for men. Let's move from Amiro and leave Belize for Guyana. We'll start with Immaculata Casimiro of the Wapichan Women's Movement. Wapichan Women's Movement, founded in 2018, is one of the newest organizations we're covering. Here's the interview we had with Immaculata in late 2021. So it all began, I think, the first, first of all, I used to live in Latham. So I went, I returned to my community in 2014. In 2015, I was elected as a village councillor, where I served as uh, the secretary to the village council. So I was I was an elected leader for three years. So when I began my work, um, it's voluntary in the community. Councillors are not paid. Only the Tushau and the Dep Tushau is paid a stipend from the government, but all the other counselors, um, they're volunteers. So when I began working there, I began to see the different issues that were existed. And, and then I attended meetings with the South European District Council. It was already there. 
And so I was myself and other women were invited to a meeting in Brazil. So we went to Brazil and uh, we saw that they had the youth, they had women, you know, and they were very vocal and very active, let's say. And so the night we began a conversation with myself, Miss Faye Frederick, she's part of the Wapcha Women's Movement. She's also, we said, a co-founder, myself and her. Okay. So, yeah, so she, we began speaking about, um, about, like, for example, man and a woman, and the women not having, um, we would say, uh, knowledge about family planning, you know, because some, in one of the uh, thing in our cultures was like the man wanted the woman to have just babies, you know, and she, she used to stay at home and look after the babies and stuff like that. So we began thinking, uh, we, we, we spoke about that, that conversation over dinner, and that we said we should have these kind of workshops and programs in our communities and we should form a Watch Women's Movement. So that was the conversation. It was, I think, in 2016. It was in 2016. Yes. And so we began that conversation, but we were exposed to different workshops, you know, different meetings and so on. Myself, Miss Faye, Miss Coretti, who were all part of the um, Watch Women's Movement. So that conversation began. So in December of 2018, I again was invited to a conversation on domestic um, violence in Guyana, national conversation. So there, myself and other women attended again. And, you know, it was a very deep conversation and it was touching how the workshop began. It was so touching that, you know, you, you, it, it ha you had this um, driving you to want to do something, you know. And then you realize, you know, this is happening in my communities and I should do something. So after then, um, together with WWF and CI and um, the Nartropoulin District Development Board, it's another organization like the SRDC. So we began to plan and we, we, we spoke about having an Indigenous Women's Conference. So we did that for the region. It was in January of 2020. So uh, when it happened in January, we came together. There were about 80 women who participated. And, you know, we had a declaration. Maybe I should show you that declaration also. <laughs> yeah, we began. We had this declaration where we wanted to protect our environment. You know, we spoke about environment, about um, women's empowerment. We spoke about entrepreneurship and you know all of these conversations we had very a very good um three days conference we had so then we um drafted the we call it the bina hill declaration you know it was together with all the women who are there and so that is how it came about actually and so we said that we really need to start this women's uh, movement you know we have so when I returned, um, that was the plan. And so we, we threw that out to our leaders and they all agreed, you know, that yes, we should have this, um, women's, um, movement because, uh, we have also adopted a gender policy in 2019, I think it was 2019, the SRDC had adopted a gender policy. So 
because of all of that and wanting to be gender inclusive, you know, and have more women on board. So that's one of the reasons why we really opted to have this women's uh, movement. And it was fully endorsed by our leaders and by our general assembly. So we went ahead. Tusha and councillors. Tusha and councillors make up a village council. A village council is like the authority of a village and they're elected leaders. So when I speak of councillors, they are, for example, there is the chief and his, I would say like his helpers. Um, those are who we call councillors. And, you know, they would, they would look into all, um, for example, we have problems, concerns of the villages together with the leader, the Tusha, we call him, the chief they would look into these issues. No? It, depend on, it depends on what the situation is um, in the different communities because one of the things that I have been um, really advising the village council is to actually report the cases. If they don't feel comfortable reporting to the police, they can report to me and then I can further. Because not many of our councillors Village councils um, are trained, you know, how to deal with these different um, situations. If, for example, rape and sexual assault, abuse, harassment, and you know, domestic violence. So it's 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 something that they are not. Um, I would say they they do not know how to deal with these situations. So that's where I think the Wapchan women's movement play a very important role. So we can actually assist them, you know, and see how we can further these um, cases um, for the village councils. I think it's working so far. Yeah. Yes, um, in my village, uh, we have a police station and it's the police station that serves the other communities. And yes, like even to shows the chief they would call me to, to report these cases because they have um, internet services but not cell phone services um, in their community so they would normally whatsapp me and or message me um, send me a voice note and then I would call the police um, to look into whatever they have reported and one of the surprising thing that for me was um, we have well we had the two shows elections in June and when the two shows uh, we had nominations in April. One of the things that really surprised me is that we had twelve women contesting to be leaders. I get from the twenty one communities that we have, you know they contested that they didn't declined they they went up the um to contest with the men and even though they were not nominated they were not elected as leaders but they they went to strongly to contest these elections and they were not elected but um we have five deputy to deputy two shows i call them mm -hmm. uh, they're all women and we have more women um, than before in the village council. It's not really, I would say, up to 
my satisfaction, but I know that in the future we are going to make uh, more impacts, you know. So we have 105 male, um, I would say, leaders in the Wapchan territory with 65 women. So we have 105 males for 2,000 counselors and we have 65 women who are 2,000 counselors. In the past, probably it was more like 45 or, or maybe even 30 out of that those various positions. And that is something um, was really surprising to me. I, well, I keep I keep looking to see that, you know, to see that. Yes, um, and that is something I would really like to see more women in leadership um, capacities, especially as two shows. Yeah, I think we will reach there before maybe next three years we are going to reach there. Yes. So that was something that was very surprising for me. Here, Immaculata tells us of the workshops facilitated by Wapichan Women's Movement. These workshops are created to teach women about sex, gender, international conventions and laws, as well as issues affecting their communities and children's rights. And then we go on to the first topic we deal with is gender. So we have this... Um, we have this handout that we do where we test persons um, to know if they know about gender, you know. Um, for example, you talk about sex and gender, yeah, sex and gender. So we do that first and we see what they know. And then after we, well, when we see what we know, then after we go into the topic of gender, talk about gender equality, um, gender um equity, mainstreaming, you know, and talk about gender roles and so on. So we go into the concept of gender and then we talk and, and so on. They ask questions. We do a, a little um, group work, like a case study. Um, that is part of the handout. And so and so that that is how the workshop runs up to midday. And then we talk about SIDA, the um, SIDA rights of women under SIDA and we also talk about Guyanese law you know that protects women's rights and so on so all of that we do on day one and in the evening then we talk about we said there are issues that affect communities and we put them into groups and then we we allow them to talk, say what are the issues that affect their communities um what they think are the causes and what they think are the solutions to to these issues. So it's done in group and they and they do group presentations, you know. And after then we finish for day one. We have videos in between also that we show, you know, uh, of what other women are doing in Guyana and so on. And you know, talk about how women are violated and so on. So all of that we talk about. So the next morning we do a recap and everyone is offered a piece of paper where they do a recap and they say what they learn you know what have they learned from yesterday and so the women would write oh the answers are very very amazing you know you you know i learned about sida i learned about um women's rights i learned about gender you know all of this they would say you know so it, it's very nice and then 
after we we got to speak about um about more of how sida can assist women you know and how we can use that how we can shape um the law how we can use it for our benefits and so on so um that's what we do we also show videos you know so where they can see they can listen we do sexual assault um harassment and then after um lastly we do the ch children's rights you know we all we have powerpoint presentations that we would do you know take them through it's very hard for them because it's the first time they're learning about these laws you know and so they would write and so because we equip them with books and pens and so on so it's it's very interesting to 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 know what they've learned so at the end of the workshop we hold a discussion where we have questions and answers you know they can question me the facilitators not me alone and we can try to answer them and then see how we can move on from there and yeah and what assistance we can render to the community and we tell them that it's the first workshop and across the villages it's the first time they're having like this women focused workshops yeah so that's what we do for the two days and well we have a meal together that's at lunchtime you know and then you hear everybody would come and stand you know um they call me maki well i'm called maki actually so they would like say we we want to we want to tell you something you know or they would have something that they want to share with me about what is happening in the community so that when you get to hear everyone's problems so you know are they they're seeking advice what can i do you know so it's a very interesting very i would say um sentimental at times you know um, because of the things you hear and, and the things you're told so so that's how it goes yeah We just heard from Immaculata Casimiro of Wapichan Women's Movement. Cultural inheritance is important to the movement's work, as well as to the work of the last group we'll cover in this episode, Makushi Research Unit. Paulette and Gloria shared with us how their cultural research and stewardship is the foundation of their organizing around women's empowerment and combating domestic violence. Much like Amira's description of Toledo's Mayan communities, Makushi communities are experiencing gains in political power. But the Makushi have yet to have a woman to show, which is a community political leader. Both Sister Paulette and Sister Gloria have served their communities as deputy to shows, And both have also experienced domestic violence, including during their time in office. So let's hear more from them about their culture and research work, their time in leadership, their women's empowerment organizing, and their work around domestic violence from our interview with them in late 2021. Um, we, the Makoshi Research members, we have been trained 
by different organizations like Red Thread, Help on Shelter, different NGOs, organizations, Gender Equality, UNICEF. We, the women, have been trained on different things, like trafficking in person, awareness of domestic violence, empowering of women, sexual harassment, all these things here, we um, we were trained on. So it left, we started to do our work in community, which we try our best to encourage women, to empower them about women's rights. And we have been doing a lot of work. We have been doing awareness, violence on different social issues and leadership role, parenting, counseling. But it's not everybody doing counseling, just myself and Gloria, two of us. We, we, we do counseling in home, in office in our community when they invited us then we go to other communities but in our communities we do it more often than other communities however today the women are leaders which we are proud of years gone by leader women was never leaders because the men used to look up at us but today, women are leaders, teachers, health workers, and you name it. So today, the indigenous women in our country, Guyana, they are leaders. They attend meetings nationally and internationally. And um, we are so proud of the indigenous women. They can stand up for their rights now. It's not like before. We can stand up for our rights and represent our women. We work with mostly indi indigenous women in, in our um, communities. We have like, we are in region nine in Guyana, upper Esquibo, and um, we, we mostly work like when we have like things like this, we, we have our section which we deal with, which is 13 communities of the North Rupununi. We deal with North section. But when we have conferences, we share our knowledge with other um, indigenous sisters. Especially when we go to conference in Georgetown National Conference, we would share that with our women folks. What we see as important because we were, uh, we, the skills that we have from the time we received the training, we, we, we had to share with those who are under domestic violence or are living with domestic violence 
and the, we see the the input or we saw the reasoning all from sharing that it under medicines and reasoning that we could come out from that as by doing sharing others we see the results that women would fit to us you know and that was very important to have you here sister our auntie Paulette, to share her knowledge and the not just talking to them or reading it from the book, but we would share our experience with them using ourselves as example. And by doing that, we encourage the women to, to try to come out from domestic violence, living in that life. Because sometimes people think that, oh, as man is the head of the house, then you, you must make the men to understand that that is not the right way to live as a family or to treat your wife. But doing that, we have seen the the results coming from communities. And that was Paulette and Gloria of the Makushi Research Unit in Guyana. Let's begin to seal this episode by tapping back into our somatic output. Take a deep breath, in through your noses and out through your mouth. Do that five times and see what comes up. How is this episode resonating with you? What is coming up for you as we seal this episode? How has considering the work of these indigenous organizers changed or reinforced your view of ethics within our movement? Has it changed your own personal ethics? Please, please, we beg of you write this down and please even more so if you do share it with us start this list but please please don't stop the list here we've come to the end of this episode but how do we conclude i mean i guess in the same way we started because as we learn from indigenous groups the world over Time is cyclical and holistic. We've learned a lot about Caribbean indigeneities. But how do we get from here to solidarity? Like, who knows? Laying claim to this beginning just might be the spell that activates the portal to solidarity. But thank you for joining us in this portal exploring the Caribbean indigenous feminist organizations among the WVL Caribbean grantees. This portal was activated by Amiro, Immaculata, Paulette, and Gloria, and their organizations, Toledo Maya Women's Council, Wapichan Women's Movement, and Makushi Research Unit. We'll turn to our elder and ancestral guide, Colin Robinson. To help us really work through how we replant ourselves and where we begin to contemplate the possibility of Caribbean rematriation. Let us again seal this episode with his echo. So very often diaspora people, you know, again, want to drive the car. And we keep saying, you know, gosh, you know, we're driving already. We have, you know where we're going. Come talk to us first. Come talk to us. I said gas first or... <laughs> Go behind and push now. 
<laughs> right. Find out what we need. Find out right. what we need. So I was like, I have free time. I could volunteer. I want to volunteer. But I want to drive. I'm like, well, I mean, right, you're a girl. We go to communities. We were, you, you know, it's far. I said, I want to be your driver. She said, okay. Connect with the organizations we've covered in this episode. See our show notes to learn how you can find Toledo Maya Women's Council, Wapichan Women's Movement, and Makushi Research Unit on the web and on social media. And please, we implore you, like, rate, and subscribe to Under the Sycamore Tree. This episode was produced by Rebel Women Lit and Queerly Stated, with support from Australia Lesbian Foundation for Justice, Equality Fund, and Global Affairs Canada. Research and writing by Jackie Brown, script editing and project management by Devan Moses, editing and sound by Jorraine Patmore and Sophia Chenier, and outreach by Ashley Daly. Remember to head on over to the show notes to find the details of the organizers featured in our episode and rebelwomenlit.com for additional references. Thank you so much for joining me, your host, Carla Moore, Under the Sycamore Tree.